So Galatians chapter 6, if you listen closely, you will hear what people boast in. Anybody in here boasters? Anybody in here like to brag? Come on. Can't lie in God's house, can you? It's all around us. Every conversation, every argument, every time somebody tries to justify themselves, you hear something that they boast in. It leaks out. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're with. It leaks out. We are all boasters. There are no exceptions. We really can't help ourselves. And that reminds me of a story that I heard once. There was once a frog who lived in a pond. And probably it was a pond in Florida because it was drying up. Maybe it was one of those retention ponds. And he wasn't suited for long-distance travel, and so he knew his days were numbered. But he heard that there was a freshwater lake just over the hill and over the mountain, and he knew he had to get there. So he had two birds that were his friends, and he convinced them. He was a clever frog, and he said, listen, I've got a brilliant idea. I've got to get over there to that water, and I can't travel. But here's my idea. You guys can take each end of a stick in your talons, and I can wrap my mouth around it and hang on for dear life, and you can fly me over the mountain to the fresh oasis of water, and I'll live there happily forever. And they said, that is the most brilliant, amazing plan we've ever heard in our life. And so they did it, and it seemed to go well. The frog had very strong jaws, so he clamped down on that thing, and off they went. Now, there was a farm below them. And as they flew over the farm, a farmer looked up and he said, those are the most brilliant birds I have ever seen in my life. What an amazing plan they came up with. And then there was a flock of sheep down there and they said, smart, clever birds, that's amazing. And then there was a cow that looked up and he said, you guys are so intelligent. How in the world did you convince that frog to do that? And it was at that point that the frog couldn't take it any longer. See, he was a very proud frog. And he opened his mouth and he said, it was my idea. And he fell to his death and he splattered on a rock. But he died with a smile on his face. Because we can't help ourselves, can we? All joking aside, we really can't help ourselves. Everyone boasts in something. I don't care who you are. I don't care how rich you are or how poor you are, how educated you are or how uneducated you are. I don't care how humble you may think you are or how proud you boast in being. I don't even care how religious or irreligious you are. You and I are boasters. We are actually hardwired to boast in something. So even before we get to our text, that's point number one. Call it a preliminary point, okay? Preacher's way of cheating. <laughs> the point before the sermon. Everyone boasts in something. You can't deny that. You can't contest that point. We all do it, and we know we do. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's not so subtle. But we are hardwired to boast. And listen, honestly, we don't even need the Bible to tell us that. We see it everywhere. But the Bible does tell us that. The Bible has us pegged. It says in places like Jeremiah 9.23, Let the mighty man not boast in his might, and let the wise man not boast in his wisdom. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord. See, the Bible's got us pegged, doesn't it? It knows our nature. The, there's no other book in the history of the world that describes human nature so perfectly and tragically than the Bible does. It answers all the questions that us and our culture have um, with the gospel. It really does that. No other book describes us like that. Listen, we wake up in the morning... And there are a million things to boast in just waiting for us. A million cross substitutes, a million God replacements. You can call them idols, you can call them uh, humble brags, call them whatever you want. 
but they're waiting on us every single day. And listen, we boast in things that we think make us matter, things that uh, ascribe worth and value to our life. What justifies our existence? What defines us? And we live in a culture that accommodates that, don't we? That's, that's the whole niche behind marketing. Marketing advertisers assume this, that you want to boast in something, and they'll give you plenty of options. You can buy a selfie stick now to get more of that awesome life and focus that you're living, right? To get that whole uh, dinner on your plate so that you can boast on Facebook. Social media, you know what drives Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and all the other Snapchats? Uh, do you know what drives those things? It's our need to be recognized. Let's just be really honest this morning. We all have this need to be recognized, to be patted on the back, and to be praised and congratulated for how awesome we are, that we're doing something that's important, that we are somebody that's important. And you, you look at some of the posts, and look, I'm not here to condemn you this morning. I do it too. We're going to talk about a lot of things you may feel hit and picked on, but, but you're going to leave encouraged, okay? We've got to make sure everybody is, is under the cross this morning and that we recognize our great need for it. But some of the things you see posted, it's just, <laughs> it's so trite, but the, you know that person has built their life on that. People will post things about a great workout they had at the gym, or they just ran a 5K, for the third time this week. We just got a great cardio workout in. Or that they just ate a kale sandwich because they're healthy like that. <laughs> Look at my awesome girlfriend. Look at my awesome dinner. Look at my awesome followers. Look at my awesome kids. Look at my awesome face. Look at my awesome <laughs> life. Look at my awesome sermon. Hey, we're all guilty, guys. All of us are guilty. Some boast loud, some boast quiet. Some boast without words. Have you guys seen some of the bumper stickers out there that are... That are <laughs> have you seen some of them? Some of them are so funny, but not nearly as funny as, they, as the response they provoke. I, 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 look, again, I'm not picking on you, okay? Some people run. I like to run. And I've noticed, I used to, to notice my wife and I, people would put numbers like 13 point something, 26 point something, and we had to Google it to find out what that is, and that's how, how many miles they've ran or their marathon. And you see the response to that. People are putting 0.0, .0 stickers on their car now. <laughs> They're both bragging. I do a lot of running. I do no running. You see people that have a proud parent of an honor student or something like that, or my kid's an honor student at Woodrow Elementary. And then you see the people that say, my kid beat up your honor student. You see the people that had the stick figure families, and in a way they're boasting, look how many kids we have. And then you see the response to that, people that have a bumper sticker that says, no one cares about your stick family. Or my zombie family ate your stick family. It's crazy. I even saw, listen, you heard it first at Grace Life. I even saw a shirt the other day that said, I pooped today. I, it's okay, you can laugh at that, because what are people doing? Somebody's, people have to find something to boast in, don't they? Some of the craziest things. Some of it's funny. Some of it's tragic. My wife, I don't know why my wife likes watching shows like this, but she'll watch Hoarders and these children beauty pageants, the moms that go around and do that. Have you guys ever seen that? Don't. Spare, spare yourselves, okay? She was telling me about a lady who had a warehouse filled with garbage, filled with absolute garbage and rubbish, and she had to hire one of those uh, 
I guess, psychologist organizers who came in, and she, she could not convince this lady that that is absolutely worthless. But this lady was convinced that that, that warehouse was, was worth millions of dollars. She would have a pair of blue jeans that were faded and mildewed and moldy, and she would say, what value can these possibly have? And she, and she said, you can melt down the metal and the buttons and the zipper, and if you took all the clothes out there and did that, it's worth thousands of dollars. She was convinced in her own mind. She built her whole life around that. Everybody boasting something. And listen, it's Mother's Day, and the name of this sermon is A Mother's Greatest Boast. There's a lot of mommy boasting that goes on out there. You guys aware of this? Anybody? A lot of mommy boasting, isn't it? And it's the wrong kind of mommy boasting. And it produces a lot of mommy fear, a lot of mommy failure, a lot of mommy guilt, and a lot of mommy shame, and a lot of mommy despair. Somebody sent this to me the other day. Check this out. How to be a mom in 2017. That's a tongue twister. Make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter, or neglect them in a screen-free, processed foods-free, GMO-free, negative energy-free, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian, but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard and 1.5 siblings, spaced at least two years apart, for proper development, and also don't forget the coconut oil. (laughs) Now listen, we laugh at that, but there's truth in every joke. The reason that's funny is because that's going on out there, and that affects us in here, doesn't it? How demanding these things are that we boast in, that we trust in, that we hope in. And then there's the tiger mom. Have you guys heard of this tiger mom model of parenting? Forgive me if I've mentioned it to you, but I have to... I have to go back to this this because it so perfectly illustrates the kind of thing I want to combat today in this sermon. When I was in seminary, I read an article by author Amy Chow. The name of the article was Why Chinese Moms Are Superior, and it was an excerpt from her book she was trying to sell that was was forthcoming um, called The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. Now, I had to read this article twice to make sure, number one, it wasn't a joke, and number two, that I understood it the right way. I even had my wife read it to confirm Overbearing, micromanaging would be an understatement. Strict, unforgiving, harsh. This article was painful for me to read as a a new dad. I read it when I was a new dad. This lady was proud. She was arrogant. She was self-centered. And worse of all, she was condescending to any parent and every parent who did not share her philosophy of parenting. This is how she started her article out. Check this out. Here are some things my daughters were never allowed to do. Attend a sleepover have a play day, be in a school play, complain about not being in a school play, watch TV or play computer games, choose their own extracurricular activities, get any grade less than an A plus, not be the number one student in every subject except gym and drama, play any instrument other than the piano or violin, not play the piano or violin. Does that sound like a joyful childhood to you? That gives me an ulcer just reading it just to be honest with you. She goes on, I'm not done yet. Tiger parents demand perfect grades. If their child doesn't get them, the parent assumes it is because the child didn't work hard enough. That's why the solution to substandard performance is always to excoriate, punish, and shame the child. 
The tiger parent believes that their child will be strong enough to take this shaming and to improve from it. That's a big assumption, and that's a very dangerous assumption, and it's a totally unbiblical assumption that leaves no room for the gospel or grace or the cross at all. And I think a lot of people are buying that up, and it's doing a lot of damage. That method is designed to produce strong-willed, high-achieving kids, music progenies, somebody that can waltz into an Ivy League school, land a lucrative six-digit salary, get their PhD, and there's nothing wrong with that, but if that's what we're trusting in, that's what that tiger mom, she's boasting in that. I have perfect kids, highly intelligent. They're driven. Now look, I am not picking on moms today. I actually want to help you. I think the greatest way that I can honor moms and dads and anybody is to tell us what the Bible says about this. And this text that we read earlier, that Abby read for us, it's not written exclusively to moms, but I can promise you this. It is for moms. And it will help you, and it will strengthen you, and it will encourage your heart. And this was written as a corrective. Because listen, we all boast in something, we all boast in the wrong thing, and God cares about what we boast in, and he wants to help us. And I love that about the Bible. I love that about Scripture. It was written for us. And this may sound strange. I'm just going to read the one verse that I want to focus on and try to bring us up to speed as to why Paul wrote this. So Galatians 6, verse 14, here's what he said. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now this is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. This is not some kind of second-rate disciple reject. This is the Apostle Paul. And just in case you may not know who he is, uh, he was a high moral achieving Pharisee, a great religious leader. He had an incredible pedigree as an Israelite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. His teacher, Gamaliel, was like a Jedi Israelite master teacher, okay? He would have had a really high intellect. He was very educated, very well taught. But beyond that, Paul became an apostle. His name was Saul, and it was changed to Paul. He was an apostle who saw the risen Lord. The apostle Paul could cast out demons at at will. At his command, he could cast out demons. He could raise people from the dead. He could heal people. The apostle Paul was inspired by God. Did you know he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? He wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. 13 of them. So you have to ask... uh, what does that matter? Well, Paul is saying here, there's only one thing that I want to boast in. In fact, this verse is really hard to translate. He's saying, far be it from me, may it never be, may it never be, may I never, ever, ever boast in anything except the cross. And that's the first point here. That's the first point is that God wants us to boast in something that is singular. This is a, God wants us to boast in something that's singular. Only one boast, only one boast. And all the things that Paul could have boasted in, he didn't. He didn't. In fact, he rejected all those things and said, I count those things as dung. I won't tell you what the vernacular is in the New Testament, the Greek word skubalon that Paul used for that. I couldn't say it up here, the the, the equivalent. He considered all those achievements nothing, worse than nothing, on a dung hill compared to what he was in Christ. And this is the Apostle Paul. I don't know if any of us would have a, a resume and a pedigree like he had. In fact, One of the churches he planted in Corinth, they were boasting in Paul being their leader. They were saying, the Apostle Paul, he's our guy. He planted this church, and Paul said, are you nuts? He responded to it, and he rebuked them. He said, are you nuts? I'm just a man. I'm just a fallen sinner. Were you baptized in Paul's name? Was Paul crucified for you? 
He's saying, did Paul defeat death for you? Did Paul die for your sins? Don't boast in me. I can't do anything to help you. Don't boast in a fallen human leader. He was pointing them back to the, to the cross. So this is the Apostle Paul. He could have boasted in a lot of things, but he didn't. He boasted in one event. Listen, there is no high moral ground at the cross at all. It's all perfectly level. We all stand in the same great need and dependence on Christ at the cross. And that's why Paul says, I boast in that. It's a singular boast. It's a singular boast. It doesn't matter how well you live, how well you parent, how many kids you have, how few kids you have. Our boasting can't be in how our kids turned out. Listen, guys, get this in your head this morning, moms especially. If your boasting is dependent on how well your parenting is and how well your kids turn out, that will create either a very proud heart or a very despairing heart. And we're all prone to do that. My kids are safe. My kids are healthy. My kids are intelligent. My kids are athletic. My kids are smart. My kids are funny. My kids are beautiful. My kids are handsome. Listen, we may be boasting in our kids, but really that's a reflection we're boasting in ourselves, that I was able to secure and produce those things. But that's a myth. That is an absolute myth. This is what a lady named Rachel, she lived in Africa for the first 10 years as a parent. This is what she wrote. She wrote, any mother anywhere in the world could receive a phone call in the next five minutes about a car accident. My child could decide Jesus is an imaginary friend and reject the truth. Another could fall into immoral living. In the face of all these frightening possibilities and many others, we are tempted to terror and anxiety until we cling in dependence, in dependence on the promises of God. So listen, we can't, we can't boast in how our kids turn out, how moral they are, how sober they are, how straight they are. Because listen, all those things can change, guys. All those things can change, and then what happens to us? We're devastated. We're absolutely devastated, and God loves us too much to let us boast in those things because he knows they're sinking sand. All those things are sinking sand. That's why Paul says, look, God made you to boast. You're hardwired to boast. You're going to boast, and you're going to be tempted to boast in the wrong things. So Paul says, let me help you. Let me turn your face to the one thing that God wants you to gloat in, to rejoice in, to hope in, to celebrate, to brag about. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And I think it's especially relevant for moms today because, man, there's so much garbage out there. You're so tempted to boast in things that just don't matter or that can change, that can get ripped out from under you in a split second, and then you're left just in a heap happens all the time. We counsel people all the time. Their hope, their hope is in how their kids are going to turn out, right? And then when their kids don't turn out that way, they're done. God says, don't boast in something that can be taken away from you. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, whatever it is you're trusting in to make you happy, you better make sure it can't get taken away. And a lot of the things we boast in can get taken away. In fact, I will go further and say they do get taken away or they will get taken away, Right? We know that. God shows us that. That's the first thing. Listen, God only accepts one boast, and it's not in our performance. It's in his son's performance. That's the only boast that's acceptable in God's sight. It really is. So that's the first thing. Boast in a singular event. The second thing is this. Boast in a shameful event. Boast in a shameful event. Look at this. God forbid that I boast in anything except in the what? cross. Now, this probably doesn't make sense to us because we live in the year 2017 in the American West. But if you were the audience that Paul wrote to in Galatia, 
you would pull that scroll closer to your face and make sure you got that right, what Paul's saying here. Because listen, that was shocking what he's saying here. And I want us to try and feel the shock of that this morning. Boast in the cross. Do you know what the cross represented to a first century Jew or Gentile? The most shameful, humiliating, offensive, scandalous, outrageous thing that had ever happened. A means of torture, a shameful means of dying, shameful means of being executed. It was so crazy. It was so counterintuitive. It came to represent one of the most cruel and barbaric means of torture and death in the ancient world. It was reserved for notorious criminals, rebellious slaves, and political traitors. And so when you talk about the cross, to most people that would hear that and associate it with the Messiah, they would think that it looked like defeat. You're boasting in something that represents defeat and death and shame and loss. So it would look like weakness and shame and failure. Cicero wrote this. He said, The very word cross should be far removed, not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. In other words, don't think about it, don't talk about it, and don't look at it. And listen, that is all the Apostle Paul did. That's all he did. Everywhere he went, he said, I have nothing else to preach except Christ and Him crucified. The only thing he would boast in was the cross. Nobody could shut him up. It got him in trouble. It got his head cut off eventually. So that would have been shocking to those people. It's a shameful thing. It was a shameful boast. But listen, the cross is where a great exchange took place. And here's the rub. See, to a Jew, if you were crucified on a cross, you were cursed by God. Because the Old Testament said that. Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. But listen, do you know what the Bible says? It says that Jesus Christ became a curse. It doesn't say he took our curse. It says he became our curse. So that's the reason that Paul boasted in something that was so shocking and so offensive back then. Because listen, friends, it was saying this. All of us deserve what happened to Christ on the cross. We all deserve to be abandoned by God. We all deserve to be forsaken by God. We all deserve to be cursed by God. But God's love for us is so deep and so profound, he sent his son to stand in our place, to take that curse, to take that punishment, to absorb that wrath, and to justify us forever. That's what the cross represented. But to most, most people in the first century, that would have been outrageously offensive, and they couldn't have understood it. So if you know yourself to be hopelessly lost, the cross makes tremendous sense to you. You look at the cross and you know, I deserve that. It's a statement about how sinful we are. We know that, that we deserve that, all of us do. But it makes tremendous sense to us if we get that. And here's where it's really offensive, guys. And, and, and listen, to this is going to level all of us. The, the cross offends everybody. It offends the person who breaks God's rules and is proud of it. And it offends the person who keeps God's rules but trusts in keeping God's rules to be right with him. We're all in the same place. The person who's a terrific parent, sacrifices for their children, serves their kids, works three jobs, the cross is offensive to them because it says they're no better than the person who abandons their kids. Now let that settle in for a minute. That's the message for Christianity. Let me say that again. The parent who hates their kids and forsakes their kids, the cross says they're no better, they're in no condition of greater need than the person who sacrifices and works hard for their kids. The ground is level at the cross. The person who's a philanthropist and gives away all their goods and feeds the poor and works at the soup kitchen and the person that is greedy, self-indulgent, self-centered, they're both in equal need of the cross. That's why it's so offensive to people. It says, you're so sinful that this is what God had to do for you. 
But listen, at the same time, it says you are so loved by God and you are so delighted in my God, he was happy to do that for you. That's the, that's the glory of it, and that's also the shame of it. Because listen, our world values pedigree and honor and dignity and wealth and social status, and Jesus doesn't value any of those things, guys. None of those things matter to Jesus. Do you know what matters to Jesus? Do you know what attracts Jesus? Your need does. Your need and your sin attracts Jesus to you. That is the message of Christianity, and you won't find it in any other religion in the world, ever, anywhere, ever. He's not put off by our need. He's attracted by it. And I would say this. If there is no place, let's really apply this now. Let's really apply this. If there is no place in your philosophy of parenting for imperfections, for weaknesses, and for failures, then you don't have any room for the cross or for the gospel in your parenting. And guys, that's a huge problem because you're training up your children to be perfect. And you're training up your children to not need the gospel and to not need the grace of God and to not need the cross either. And that's a huge problem. And here's a test. You ever ask your kids to forgive you? You don't have to answer that out loud. Do you ever repent to your children and ask them to forgive you? Now, if your answer is no, and I were to ask you why, I can tell you this. It's not because you've never sinned against them, because you have and you will. We all do that. I sin against my kids every day. In fact, one of the things I tell my kids every day is, I love you, I'm sorry, and you're not the center of the universe. <laughs> Just about every day, and in some form or another, I have to tell my kids that. Do you have a place for the cross in your parenting? Do you have a place for the grace of God? Do your children know? Are you one of those parents that says, my kid's going to never see me cry? Well, let me ask you a question. Why not? Why not? Never let them see you sweat. I get it. I know that's the world's philosophy, but guys, chuck that. Leave that at the door when you come into the, into the kingdom, okay? Because we don't strut into the kingdom, and we don't strut when we're in the kingdom either. We boast in the cross. We live under the cross. We know we're weak. We know that we're needy, and we know that God has met all of our needs in Christ Jesus that his grace is sufficient. You know the word boast is used in Greek, the Greek word for boast here, it's used, this is, sounds like just a bit of nerdy technical detail, but it's important. It's used 37 times in the New Testament. And you know who used it the most? Paul. He used it 35 times. It's all he talked about because he knew, he knew that people would expect him to boast in his great learnedness, his great intellect, that he was an apostle. But all he talked about was boasting in the grace of God, boasting in the cross, he didn't boast in anything else. What an example for us. What an example for us. There is only one thing that God will never, ever despise. When you think about your boasting, what does God never despise? It's not an amazing devotion time. It's not radical generosity for the poor. It's not a two-hour time of prayer before dawn. The only thing God will never despise and never reject is a broken heart, the Bible says. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. These you will not despise, Psalm 51 says. Have you ever rejected one of your children who came to you and asked you for forgiveness? I would say probably not. When you reject your kid is when they're posturing and when they're pretending and when they're being deceitful and when they're being dishonest. But when they tell on themselves... When they come to you and say, Daddy, I'm really sorry, but I lied to you. Or, Daddy, I'm really sorry, but I punched my sister in the face. Or whatever it is. Those are the times you extend your forgiveness and you extend your grace. You don't reject your children when they're broken and they're humble. Listen, 
God doesn't reject his children when they're broken and humble either. Guys, we've got to find a place to let repentance back into the Christian life. It's not just something you do to enter the kingdom. It is the consistent walk. It's the attitude of the kingdom. It really is. Jeff's going to be talking about this in this series. He starts next week called the Upside Down Kingdom. Everything in the kingdom is upside down. It's completely opposite than the world. We don't walk with our noses in the air and proud. We're humble people. We know we're so sinful Jesus had to die and become a curse for us. But we know that we are so loved by God and delighted in God and accepted by God that we, he was happy to do it and that can never be taken away from us. What happened at the cross can never be taken away from us. There is no threat for that ever being removed or robbed or deprived of us. And that's why we boast in it. We celebrate it. That's the only thing worth boasting in. And it creates parents who know they're sinners, know they need God's grace. And man, that's a powerful position to parent from. Forget this whole tiger mom junk, guys. We're not tigers. That's not the analogy. We're sheep. We are not tigers. We're sheep. And we have all gone astray. And we need a shepherd to come and rescue us. And listen, the great story of Christianity is that this shepherd became a sheep and was slaughtered for us. That's the beauty and power of the gospel. So do your Christian think that Christians, excuse me, do your children think that Christians are people who have it all together or people who look to Jesus to hold them together? That's boasting in the cross. That will have a powerful impact on your kids. You may not see it right away, maybe years later, that will leave a lasting impression on them. The greatest memories I have of my parents are, are their, their times of humility when they sinned against me and apologized to me and asked my forgiveness. I will never, ever forget that, ever. So embrace your brokenness. Expose your self-righteousness. Let it drive you to the cross. And listen, do it in front of your kids. This is the kind of boasting God wants us to do openly and frequently and share it with other people. That's what boasting is about. You're rejoicing in something. You're exalting. You say, that sounds to me like we're celebrating failure. No, we're celebrating grace. Not celebrating failure and mediocrity. We're celebrating the grace of God that keeps us together and holds us together. So those are the first two points. And let me give you an illustration, too, of what the cross does. I remember one time I was in our minivan. I was driving my son. He was little. And he, he makes up all these songs, and he was singing a song, and it was about God. It was about people. And he said, God is wonderful. He's powerful. He's everywhere. He loves everybody. And then he said, except for the bad guys. And I thought, yeah, that's cute, man. And I laughed, and I thought, wait a minute, hang on a minute. <laughs> that was one of the, I'm serious. That will stand out to me. It probably did my son. He's probably already forgotten it. That will stand out to me as the moment that God awakened me. It was like a smelling salt. It's like your son's theology is leaking out here, and it's wrong, and you better correct it. <laughs> you better take this opportunity and take the next 50 opportunities, because all our kids have skewed theology, don't they? To listen to your son's worldview leaking out and to correct it with biblical truth. Because what my son was saying, listen, God loves everybody except the bad guys. Guys, who does that leave? <laughs> who does that leave? Seriously, I grew up watching spaghetti westerns. The good guys wore white and the bad guys wore black. Uh, newsflash, we're all wearing black. All of us are. We're all sinners. We're all alienated from the grace of God. We have all fallen so short of his glory. All of us are. So I didn't pull the minivan over, and the only reason I heard my son is because my other son put a quarter in the CD player, and it was broken, so I couldn't listen to music. So we're having this conversation. I'm like, uh, son, so are you a bad guy or are you a good guy? 
And he said, I'm a good guy, Daddy. And I said, no, you're not. You're a sinner. Because listen, our kids think, you know, like robbers and crooks and murderers and thieves. And that's pretty much all of us in our heart, though, isn't it? And what was that? And look, I'm not putting a feather in my hat. I don't take all those opportunities. Half of them go right over my head and I miss them. But when I do hear them, man, my ears perk up because I think this is an opportunity for me to show my son what it's like to boast in the cross. Because he wasn't right then. He was boasting in his own morality. I'm a good guy. My dad's a pastor. I, live, I, grow, I grew up in a Christian home. How many kids say that today? That's all they know. I, are you a Christian? Well, I grew up in a Christian home. What, are they boasting in the cross when they say that? I'm not getting nitpicky with terminology, okay? It may sound like a semantics thing, but man, what an opportunity to correct that and say, that doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter where you grow up or who your mom and dad are. You don't boast in that. You can't boast in your pedigree. You can't boast in who your parents are, and you can't boast in who your kids are. You boast in who God is and what he did for you on the cross. That's the only thing, that's the only boast that God will accept. So here's the last thing, point number three. Boast in a powerful event. Man, this is good. This is, this is the most powerful part in this text. Look at, look at verse 15. Or excuse me, let's just read verse 14 again. Far, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Do you hear that this boasting has a power? There is a power that is unleashed in this kind of boast. You say, really? Is that what he's saying? Yeah, that's what he's saying. You say, how do you know that? Because he says, I'm boasting in the cross because through, cro- through the cross, I was crucified to the world and the world was crucified to me. The world no longer has a claim on me. That's a pretty, that's a pretty powerful thing, guys. Let me ask you a question. Any other philosophy or religion in the world had that kind of power? Anything had that kind of power to sever your affections for things that are outside of Christ? Nothing does. Nothing does. That's why we should, if something has that kind of power, a good philosophy of life is constant exposure to it. Like my coach in middle school, when I really became interested in lifting weights and running track and playing football, he introduced me to the gym. He said, Clayton, here's the gym. He said, expose yourself to it constantly because it'll make you strong. And listen, the cross will make you strong. It will give you a power that nothing else will, but it's so counterintuitive. We think, well, yeah, what are you, are you just saying stare at the cross? Listen, guys, the entire New Testament assumes that you need more exposure to the cross than you got in just the four Gospels. You know that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we have all these epistles, and every single one of them, every single one of them is written to correct an area where we have deviated from trusting in the cross. All of them are. In fact, if you read the gospel accounts, they're frustrating to read. Do you know this? If you were to read the gospel accounts, especially John's gospel, like biography, it's a, it's a terrible biography because the first two or three chapters tell you a little bit about the family of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the prophecies, and the whole rest of it is the last three days of his life. Did you know that? What is it, what is, what's the Bible doing? It's boasting in the cross. That's the most important thing Jesus did. It's not his teaching. That's important. It's not his miracles. That's important too. What's the greatest event that Jesus did? It's dying on that cross and raising on the third day. And that's why the Bible devotes so much to it. I remember reading a pastor and he said, I had a conniption fit at the end of John's gospel because John said, and many other things Jesus did. And I suppose the whole world couldn't contain the books if they were written. It would fill the whole world. 
And he was just really candid in this article I read. And he said, John, you idiot. I needed that. (laughs) He said, all the decisions I have to make as a pastor, all the leadership, all the the issues in the church, and you spent three years with Jesus and 40 days after his resurrection, and you gave me 25 pages. You idiot, I needed that. And he says, but in reality, I didn't need anything other than what he gave me. I needed the cross. I needed John's laser focus on the last three days, the last week, really, the passion of Jesus' life, because that is where the power comes from to live the Christian life, is the cross. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that the cross, it's a stumbling block for Jews, and it's foolishness or folly to the Gentiles, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God, not just when you enter the Christian life, but when you're living the Christian life. And the gospel produces boldness and it produces humility. And we've talked about this and we'll keep talking about it. It's, it produces humility because you know you deserve that. That's how sinful you are. But it produces boldness and confidence because you know you have God's assurance. You know the greatest thing you need when you're struggling? You need to be assured of the love of God. And where are you going to get that assurance? One place, one event at the cross. That's the only place you're going to get it. When you're suffering and when you're struggling and your body's racked with cancer and you want answers from God and you want to know why is this happening to me? What does this mean? You go to the cross, you view your suffering through the cross, and listen, God may not tell you what that suffering means, but the cross will tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It can't mean that. That's the power of the cross, guys. It is. It calibrates us. Like the atomic clock, all the other clocks are set by that one. It's where we get our life aligned. The cross is the supreme symbol of our faith, reminding us that Christianity, listen to this, it's a religion of divine accomplishment, not human effort. Let me say that again. If you're here today and you're, maybe it's Mother's Day, you got drug in here by your mom, whatever the case is, and you really, you've been asleep for the whole sermon, let me Perk up your ears for me. I want to tell you something. I don't want you to forget this. This is why Christianity is so unique. Christianity is the only religion, the only faith in the world that focuses on divine accomplishment, not human effort. Every other religion, every other philosophy in the world says obey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, try harder, do better, get enlightened, keep all these pillars, keep all these commands, and then God will accept you. And Christianity does the exact opposite of that. It says God loves you because of what Christ has done, and he accepts you. Now live out of that acceptance. Does that make sense? Every other religion says do. I'll say it this way. Every other religion says do. Christianity says done. Every other religion says human effort. Christianity says divine accomplishment. It is finished, and that's our boast. God has done it all. He's paid it in full. That's our boast. The world is crucified to you and you to the world. The cross doesn't make people better. It makes people new. That's what Paul says here. Look at this. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. You don't stand at the cross and resolve to live a better life. That's not how that works. You stand at the cross and you look at Christ's perfect life and you accept it in faith and know that you are saved because of that. This is what John Stott said about the cross. He said, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I am here because of you. 
It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to the size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is here at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size and that we're all equal. And the power of the cross is that the second-class citizens are crowned kings. You know, prostitutes and kings both sit at the round table under the cross. It's where the empty are filled. It's where the poor become rich. It's where the last become first. That's the power of the cross. The lowly are exalted. The cursed get blessed. The weak grow strong. The ugly become beautiful spiritually. And that's why James Denny said this. He said, The cross is the secret hiding place of God's power and the inspiration of all Christian praise. Listen, guys, let the cross this morning be to you like a divine smelling salt, just to awaken you. Don't boast in anything outside the cross because that's the only thing that can't be taken away from you. God's great love for you, Jesus Christ. Maybe nobody's told you this lately. I want to tell you this. God loves you tremendously. God has such a deep, profound, and abiding love for you. Do you know that? He draws near sinners. He's attracted to need. He loves to hear people with broken hearts cry out to him for help. The whole Bible is filled with the prayers of desperate men and women who are asking God for help, and he never rejected that prayer, ever. And he doesn't today. So if you're here today, mom, or son, or dad, or grandpa, or widow, or widower, or you're divorced, or your life is a wreck, or you're unsatisfied and you're unfulfilled, you're boasting in all these things that aren't going to matter in 10 years or in 100 years, I want to invite you to come to Christ this morning and bring your burdens with you, bring your guilt, bring your shame, bring the things that keep you up at night, the things you've been putting, the a burden of, of justifying your existence, bring all of those and lay them at the cross and say, I'm only going to boast in Christ. That's where the power's at. That's where the forgiveness is at. That's where the transformation is at. And then you can get a bumper sticker and you can put it on your car and, you can, and it can say, so sinful Christ had to die on the cross, but so loved that he was happy to do it. Listen, the cross liberates us and frees us from a million tyrannies, guys. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And that's the best possible message that I could offer you this morning, is that there is freedom at the cross, and that's why we boast in the cross, and that's why we boast only in the cross. Have you done that this morning? Have you asked God to free you, confess your weakness, confess your sins, confess your need? and ask him to heal you, he invites you and beckons you to come to him. Let's pray together.